As you know, we're going through the month of July talking about two become one. Is it up? Yep, there it is. And um, Nathan did a really good uh, uh, sermon last week of uh, unpacking marriage in the light of Scripture. So if you haven't heard it, it's up on the podcast. Is that right? Okay, I've got to make sure I've, I haven't listened. But he put, in his four points, he broke down the scriptural side of marriage. So it was, it was, it was a great point. I'm not going to go as much into the scriptural side. I'm going to be speaking more from a personal point of view this morning. But one thing I want to say is that if there's those of you here who, um, are going, ah, oh, it's about marriage. I'm single. What's that got to do with me? How can I get involved in this? Well, I, I want to say that what I'm going to be talking about from a personal point of view actually will apply to you because there's a process that needs to be done, I believe, before you get to that point of marriage, okay? There's things that can be done that lead up to a relationship or even, um, uh, you know, in just in dating, why you do what you do in dating. And also, if you no longer have a partner, then there's um, wisdom that you can bring to others. Um, there's wisdom that you can talk about and you can share with and you can get beside people. And uh, so d- d- don't switch off, that's what I'm trying to say, just because you go, oh, it's a marriage seminar, we're not going to listen to that. I think there's things that you can bring, okay? Let me show you a verse. No, not that way, we'll go the other way. No, it's gone right back. If you can bring that up, that'll be good. Um, this is a verse from Proverbs. Now, Solomon, we know, wrote most of Proverbs, but if you get, when you get to uh, Proverbs 30, there's a guy named Agor, and he's the uh, Agur, the son of uh, Jacob. There's only two other people apart from Solomon that wrote, and it was King Lemuel. I think he, he writes uh, Proverbs 31 about the women. But Agur, the son of Jacob, writes this. It's quite interesting. He says, three things are too, uh, are too amazing for me. There are four things that I just don't understand. An eagle flying in the sky, a snake moving on a rock, a ship finding its way over the sea, and a man and woman falling in love. I, you know what? I, I read this verse and I thought, I think Agor, the son of Jacob, was onto something here. He's onto something here, particularly the fourth point. You see, with our 21st century knowledge, you can type into Google and find out the answers to things. You can get there. And, and, and Agor didn't have this, but we have it. I mean, if you go into Google and type it in, you can understand flight, okay? The flight of a bird or the flight of an aeroplane. Um, but you can be taught how to do it. Go into YouTube and you'll even get the whole picture show that goes along with the explanation. Um, if you go into Google, you can actually find how a reptile's scales allow it to move over a rock. Even though you look at the snake and you don't see its skin moving, it can move pretty fast across the top of a rock. And that's the way I would like snakes to move when I'm near them. But it's amazing watching them. You can find out that knowledge. You can even go into um, Google, type in navigation by stars, and you can find all about how a ship moves through the night under the stars. Or you can just go to Rick and ask Rick how the stars work because he'll give you just as much as an explanation as Google. He's pretty good with the whole star thing. And if you're at Liverpool, you actually go to Tim Lucy. He's just as amazing, these, these two talking about stars. But then there's this fourth point. There's this fourth point. How do you do this one? It's a lovely photo, isn't it? 
That photo was taken 11 years ago when I proposed to Fee down at South Era. I just put the ring on her finger. When it comes to a man and a woman falling in love, who can fathom it? And let me just say, don't go into Google and type falling in love, and particularly don't go into YouTube and type falling in love. You might be a bit worried about what you come up with and what you'll be looking at. But who can figure out a man and woman falling in love as Agor had to say? How do you untangle that mystery? How do you dig the depths of such a boundless union? Now, I think I'm a bit stuck like Agor on this one, um, but what I need to do to get an answer is actually turn to the maker to find out how this actually works. And I think that's where we need to go because he's the one that's brought us into being. He's the one that's, we've just been singing about it, puts the breath of life within us. He's the one that sustains us both here now and into the life to come because we are still alive once we die. We're either living with him or living without him. So it's for all eternity. He's the one with the answers. But I must say... For myself, in talking about this this morning, I come a little bit hesitant to speak speak about marriage. You see, I, I, I come cautious to attempt a topic like this. Um, and I, the reason I feel like that is because, and I, I suppose it's, it's, you're probably no different than me, no one likes to be judged. I, I don't think you like to be judged. I don't like to be judged. I don't like to be thought less of. And my fear is that if I preach this sermon, you will think less of me. And, and I know we shouldn't, but in some sense, we all wear masks. We, we put these masks on as we leave the house and we wear them and we come into church with them, but we wear them at every level of our day to day, um, moving about. Uh, and what we're really trying to do is protect ourselves from what others think of us. Um, you see, I've been divorced. And that's not easy to say. Your pastor has been divorced. And um, when Nathan asked me to preach about marriage, I, um, I felt quite inadequate to do so. And in fact, this is the first time I've ever preached about marriage since I've been divorced. I've always gone, no, no, no. But Nathan's quite persuasive, as you know. And I said, okay. I will attempt it. So I had to sit a long time with God and go, what is it that you want to say? Um, now, even if none of you are thinking that I'm less than, I'll tell you what, it's exactly what the devil is saying to me. You see, I'll be careful what I say here, but in Ephesians 6.16, the devil throws fiery darts at you. In fact, that's why we're supposed to have the, um, the, the shield of salvation. <coughs> uh, shield of faith, sorry, isn't it? To stop those diary farts hitting us. Stop those fiery darts hitting us, okay? And, and there, there's no difference between the two words, so you can laugh about it, okay? Because they hit you and they make a mess. That's what a fiery dart does to you, okay? They hurt. Fiery darts hurt. Now, the devil doesn't know your future. Only God knows the future. The devil doesn't know what I'm going to do now, but he does know my past. So he will fire those darts at you 
as much as he can to bring you down. And let me just say, the darts that he's given to me is, you broke a law, you broke a vow, sorry, you broke a vow. How can you get up there and preach about marriage? Or, and here's a really good one, he often brings this one out to me, he says, doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible that God hates divorce? There's another dart right there. And, and, and aren't you a failure? How can you get up and talk about this? You're a failure in marriage. And there's another dart right there. And it hurts. And it hurts. Now, all this condemnation tells me one thing. I'm in a war. I'm in a war. Because the devil is out to pull me down. The devil's out to, is, is set to take me out. And he wants me just in the mess, the, the puddle on the ground, useless to God's work. Um, and I suppose this is my first point that I want to make in marriage. The number one thing about it is that we are all in a war. And that's why I said if, even if you're not married... This is a point even for you who are single or those who don't have partners. But can I say your marriage is in the sights of the devil's artillery and he'll either take a sniper and take it straight to your heart or he'll just use the, um, the random um, buckshot and try and hit anything possible when he throws out those fiery darts at you. His artillery is aimed at you and there's only one thing he wants to do, kill you. That's the way the devil works. And it's a war. But the thing about this war is it's been running since you know Adam and Eve were placed on this earth. Um, Fyodor Dostoevsky. Anyone know who he is? Mark does. We had no one in the first service. Yeah, it's something like that. Crime and Punishment was what he wrote. He's a, he's a, a, a writer. But he made this comment, and I, I wanted to put it up here for you because I think it really does sum up this war that you and I are in. He said, beauty is not only a terrible thing, it is also a mysterious thing. It's a bit like what Agor was saying, wasn't it? The son of Jacob. These things I don't, I don't understand. These things are amazing to me. He says, beauty is not only a terrible thing, it's also a mysterious thing. There God and the devil strive for mastery, and the battleground is the heart of men. You see, the devil will say, hey, you want beauty? Go after this, or purchase this, or go, go, on this, go to this place, or drink this, or try this, and you'll get that which sustains you, because he's going after the heart. And the heart within each one of us is always at turmoil at some point, if we're focused on ourselves. And so the devil and God fight for this heart of men. God's word is clear that the devil tried and succeeded for a time in seeking to ruin God's creation by attacking him at his greatest design, and that is man and woman. You see, the story of Adam and Eve's fall is every man and woman's story. I can't say that enough. The story of Adam and Eve's fall is every man and woman's story. It is simple and it is straightforward. But when Adam and Eve's story might be straightforward, yours and mine can be so much more complex and detailed. So much more complex and detailed. You know why? Because Adam and Eve were just created 
and then they fell. They didn't have that history before them. Where when you and I fail and fall, we come with lots of other packages that come with marriage. There's far more characters involved for a start. And when I got divorced, the church I was at hurt. My children hurt. My extended family hurt. There's so many more twists and turns when a marriage falls apart today. There's more plots and subplots that goes through a marriages that fall apart. But the outcome's always the same. Men and women, that's you and I, are all wounded at some level. We're all wounded at some level, every single one of us. I'll be reading a bit of uh, John Eldridge, and, and John says this, this way, and he's talking about our wounds. He says, no matter how good your life may have seemed to you, you live in a broken world full of broken people. Your mother and father, no matter how wonderful, couldn't have been perfect. She is a daughter of Eve. He is a son of Adam. So there was no crossing through this country without taking a wound. And every wound, whether it's assaultive or passive, delivers with it a message. See what he's saying there? Whatever wound, whether it's assaultive or passive, delivers with it a message. And what he's saying there is your father might go, you're useless, you're never going to amount to anything. You know, whack across the head. Or there can be abuse at many different levels. Or it can just be a passive thing. It can just be, I'm so busy doing my work, I don't have time for you. you, 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 got, you I'll give you the toys, you go away. But dad, I just want to be seen and by, no, I haven't got time for you. The passive side, no words can actually be said and you can still receive that wound. Every wound, whether it's assaultive or passive, delivers with it a message and you have messages up here that were delivered to you from your upbringing which are wounds that take you out and you know what? The enemy knows them too well and he will fire those darts into those Recall them as much as possible to take you out within your marriage. Let me ask you, have you ever noticed how annoying those warning lights are in your car dash? You had a few of them? I remember at 19, at my, uh, I went away for the weekend to my girlfriend's uncle's house. It was in Scone. And we were coming home on Sunday night. And I didn't see the warning light. We were on a country road. This is before iPhones or, you know... Any kind of, uh, uh, it was probably before carrier pigeons, the way I, the, the, it, it was, it was terrible because all of a sudden the car just stopped. It, it got slower and slower and slower. And here I am in the middle of a paddock on a dirt road in the back of Scone. And what I didn't notice was the warning light on the dash. But I did notice the steam coming out of the hood and the engine cooked. Because when I opened it, I thought, I've stuffed it. And I literally did stuff my car. It took about $6,000 to get a new engine in it. But even the other day, <laughs> Fee and I, in our Captiva, which is only five years old, the warning light came on. I took it down to the, um, the mechanic and he said, how about we just turn it off? I went, wow, a good mechanic. That's got to be much cheaper than getting it fixed. Just turn the light off. So we turned the light off. 
Well, it came back on in 15 minutes, and that's when he said, how about we fix it? So $2,000 later, I've just had my car fixed after three weeks. They had to replace the timing chain, which meant getting... But if I had not noticed the warning light, it could have been a lot worse. It could have been another four dollars to $5,000 job putting a whole new engine in it. It's best to watch warning lights. Otherwise, you get caught out. And I think this is what I'm trying to say, even for those of you who are not married, what I've come to realise is that if you don't deal with the wounds that you receive from your upbringing and your life before matrimony, then they soon become part of the fabric after you're married and they subtly weave their way into how you relate with your partner. And that is not very healthy for a marriage. For the wounds you bring into your marriage can crush it. And I believe that was one of the things that destroyed my first marriage. I took my wounds into that marriage, never dealt with them, pushed them down, but they slowly bubbled to the top. You see, I'd never dealt with the trauma that had so deeply wounded me from an early age. And because all I did really was ignore it, like the warning light, as I moved through life from singleness to marriage, it was, it was only ever out of sight. It was never out of my subconscious mind. It always niggled away. And that affected the way that I related to those around me. I want you to look at this picture here. This is the, this is the iceberg theory. And the iceberg theory goes like this, that most icebergs, 10% is above the waterline. That's what you see. But 90% of an iceberg is below the waterline, which is out of sight. That's what brought down the Titanic. Not the little bits floating on top. It's what was below the water. But you see, many of us are like this. What you are looking at today, as I'm speaking to you, is the 10%. You're not seeing the 90% that I'm hiding that you don't know what I'm thinking, how I'm processing. You don't know the journey of my life that I've had in the last well, my 57 years. You don't know those things, but you're seeing the 10%. And you know what? As I look at you, I'm looking at your 10% because there's a lot more below the waterline within you. Can I give you an illustration? If your core belief deep down inside you is that you're not worth being loved. If you think you're not worth being loved, then, and this, was, this is where I was at, then the motive or my internal life, how I processed not being loved, was to say, don't be vulnerable to anyone. Don't put myself out there. Don't show any type of vulnerability to anyone. Why? then they won't find out what I'm really like because I'm not worth being loved. Deep down, that was what I believed because of the trauma that came up through my life. And so internally, I'm going, don't show any vulnerability. But how did that work out in the 10%? Well, the 10% said, don't get close to anyone. So, and I literally say this, up until my marriage fell apart, I had no male friend in my life. No male friend at all. 
because I did not want them to know what I was really like because then they wouldn't like me and they'd leave me. And I did not want to get left behind again. You see, your core belief affects your internal life, which which allows you to live out your behaviours, your external life. For me, the wound ended up being bigger than my marriage and the relationship came crashing down. Because if I say in that 10% that shows you don't get close to anyone, I'd actually said that to my wife as well. I cannot even get close to you because if you really know what I'm like, you will leave me. Isn't that ironic? That's exactly what happened as I kept myself closed off to the wound that was in me. You see, if we're all in a war, my second point is this. Deal with the wounds of your past. You've got to deal with your wounds of your past. Go after them. But that will require you being courageous, very courageous, because as Mel said, it is brutal going after those wounds. And you'll have them at all different levels. They're there. You need to ask God to uncover them and then confront them and seek his healing over them. Now, the great thing about it here in this church is we talk about getting real and taking action. And we have someone like Beck and uh, Kerry in the, in the prayer team that you can go to. And these, this wonderful team will get around you and take you on that journey and allow the Holy Spirit to speak into those wounds and then allow the Holy Spirit to heal those wounds. You can seek out counselling like uh, Mel and David has done. It's another great option. There's books to read. There's podcasts to listen to. There's conferences you can attend. I, I personally have attended courses and, and ministries, LL. I don't know if you've heard of LL. That's out at Gilbora, Buller. That's um, out at Menangle, which is just on the other side of Campbelltown. I've been there many times and spent weekends and conferences there and then had personal one-on-one prayer with the men who will gather around me to pray through my wounds of the journey. The thing about a wound is it's like an onion. God can work on this layer and it gets peeled back and he, he reveals it and you work on it. But you know what? I found a year later I've got another layer that he has to work on and he peels it back. He peels it back. He is so loving. He wants to get to the bottom of who you really are, which is him in you. But we have so much crap that gets in our way. He has to get there. There's another one called um, uh, Elijah House. I've been to a couple of ladies that took me on a journey through Elijah House. They run a prayer ministry also. I can recommend them. And another one, Cleansing Streams. I've been involved in Cleansing Streams when I was at Kingsway. Another great ministry that allows you to journey through your wounds. You know, I I went to counselling as a single bloke, as a married bloke, as a divorced bloke, and back as a married bloke. Fee and I have been... Counselling is always on my radar because I love a third person to be the mediator to get to the bottom of what the other person is saying. Sometimes I'm a bit thick in hearing and I need someone else to give me that voice of the other person. So counselling is not a negative thing for me, as you can hear. Just do something. You've got to get to the bottom of why you do what you do. Why you do what you do. What makes you react to circumstances? Why is it that you get angry about something. Have you ever asked that question? Why am I angry? 
Well, I guarantee that there is a core belief down here that is giving an external reaction. I'm angry. But what is it down here and you're churning inside that allows that? You know, I'll tell you something else. I can be, I'll be quite open here. I could be watching TV and it'd even be an ad and I can find this wet stuff runs down my cheeks. What, why would an ad do that to me? Well, you know what? I've got to stop at that point. I've learnt and asked that question. What is on that ad that causes me to cry? Now, it could be a good thing, but it also, pun? <laughs> it could be onion, but it could be a good thing, but more often it's something that stirred up a belief inside me. And, it, and you've got to ask those real questions. They're hard questions. What is it deep down within me? My personal wounds caused to make some very powerful vows over my life. Things like, don't let anyone get close to me, because if they do, they'll find out what I'm really like and they'll reject me. You know, another one is this, I must be good. This was a word that was said to me and revealed to me many, many times as I was growing up. I must be good to be accepted. So I always had to be alert and stay in control of my world. Everything that happened around me, so I'm a control freak. Because I have to be in control to be a good person. I have to be a people pleaser. So what that actually does in my life is stops me from having conflict or avoiding confrontation. I'm a people pleaser. Nathan, I must annoy Nathan because he says, you need to approach and I don't want to do that. But I realise it's triggered from a core belief that I'm not good enough. There's nothing wrong with confrontation. If it's done healthily and wisely, it helps the other person to move on. But you see, I fear it because of my core belief. You see what I'm saying? These things are very... Look at this. I love this. It's hard to have a healthy marriage when you spend the majority of your time making sure your elaborate fig leaf is in place. How true is that if you're in a marriage? We all have our fig leaves. We cover up. Don't let anyone see me. And if you've got your elaborate fig leaf, because what you end up doing is spending more time working on your elaborate fig leaf than anything else, and your marriage is falling apart around you. And that's what has to change within a marriage. You spend so much energy on just yourself, trying to cover it all up. So what I've found is God had to do a lot of work in me before he allowed me to enter into another marriage. I've been married 11 years today, and I'm so glad that God allowed me to, get, to be married again. But I tell you what, there was a lot of pulling me apart so that I can enter in the marriage that I am today and come to this marriage, not as a perfect person, but one that's on the journey of being validated by my God and not finding my validation within that or hiding within that marriage. He took me on this journey of discovery in a few ways. First of all, he says this, I'm going to take your sin away from you. Your past has been dealt with as far as this is from the West. He says this, your sins were washed away. You were made holy. You were made right with God. All that was done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. Your sins are washed away. So I stand sinless before God, not because I don't sin, but because Jesus washed them away. It's what we shared around communion, isn't it? And when God looks at you, he doesn't see your failure because Jesus paid it all upon the cross. And that's why this is such a powerful verse. There's no condemnation. 
If you hear these words, you are a failure, that is not God. God does not do that because he can't see you as a failure. He sees you as perfect in Christ. So he will not say you are a failure. He only has words of encouragement to lift you up and to get you moving forward. That doesn't mean, though, he doesn't take you back into your wounds because he knows what's best for you. So he will allow things to rise, but he will journey with you through it. That's why that's such a powerful word. And secondly, you've been given a new heart. But not just a new heart, he's put the spirit within you. That's the power to deal with the new heart. I mean, we can't have the new heart on its own. We need the Holy Spirit to journey with us. My past has been dealt with and I have a new heart and the Holy Spirit's within me and that's why Jesus called it good news. Because that is good news. Because without that, my marriage is going to, my second marriage is going to go the same direction as my first. Paul said also, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old's passed away, behold, the new has come. So if my first thought was you're in a war, my second thought is go after the wound, allow God to reveal it and heal it, here's my third one. Make sure you build your marriage on the foundation of Jesus. Make sure you build your marriage on the foundation. Now, that might seem simplistic, and you're kind of going, uh, duh, like that's what we come to church for, to tell us that. But I tell you what, it is more than simplistic. Because I think we forget it too much. You see, it's him you should have your life firmly built upon. He's the only one who can provide the stability and the strength that you need to navigate the depths of marriage. And John, I mean, Jesus said it this way in John. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Nothing. You know what that actually is, means there, if you want to put it into some term that we can understand it? Not having Jesus is like not having oxygen. Just let that sink in. Not having Jesus is like not having oxygen. But how many people live in this world with no breath and they struggle their whole life? You know, here I have a passion fruit off my passion fruit vine at home. It smells good. It's a great vine. It's been in the ground for four years. It produces these wonderful things. The cockies love them. I hate the cockies. I'm, I, I, I'm, I've got this set of tennis balls in my backyard and I throw them at the cockatoos. They eat more passion fruits than I can get. But a passion fruit vine, okay? I trimmed this off two weeks ago. This is one of the few left because I went through and trimmed it all back so it can blossom again. But look at it in two weeks. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He is the vine. You are the branches. Do you want to be all wrinkly and curled up and useless? That's me. No, not in Jesus' name or not. You're looking at me, Wendy. You're going, you're just all wrinkly. Oh, I wasn't talking about you. That is so untrue. But that's what it's like, isn't it? Can you see that illustration? Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How do you produce fruit like this? This big? This is a good passion fruit. 
I'd love to share it with you. But it's got to go to the sermon next week at Liverpool. How do you produce fruit like this? You stay attached to the vine. He's like oxygen for you. Jesus is the means by which you can do life, that you can do marriage. I mean that. The more you give all of yourself over to Jesus, the more his life is able to invade yours. But let me give you a warning. If you seek your identity or your strength or your acceptance or your value in anything, I must say in anyone other than Jesus, you will be let down. Now, the reason I say that is this is what happens in many marriages. You seek your validation in your partner. You seek your validation in your partner. You must take your question of who am I to God before you go to your partner. Do you understand what I'm saying? You've got to take the question, who am I, to God before you take it to your partner. In other words, God must define you. If God does not define you, you are putting excess pressure on your partner. Because it's up to them to make you validated and feel right and feel good. And that's a pressure your partner cannot fulfill. They are shoes that they were never meant to fulfill. Only God fills, puts those shoes out for you to fill. Because of this, you can do nothing without him. So... When you hear him tell you who you are, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're a child of the king, you're an heir, you're mine, you're perfect, you're holy, you're pure, you are clean. When you hear those things, then go to your partner out of being validated by God. Each partner in a marriage needs the other to be validated by God and filled by the spirit within them. Then you have the marriage that allows you to go forth in leaps and bounds. Okay? I'm going to close with these three points. If you've got a book, I see some of you writing. Here they are. First of all, remember that you're in a spiritual war. Remember you're in a spiritual war. The only thing the devil cares about you is how to destroy you. And and I've been practicing lately when I get out of bed and put my feet on the ground... I actually say that that to myself in the morning. I am in a war. As soon as my feet hit the ground, that cold floor, because unless I remember that, I just go on in the day and then wonder why I'm being attacked with all these diary farts, fiery darts. And that's debilitating. You're in this war and it's killing you and you go, why? I forgot I was in a war. So I haven't put on my armor. I haven't protected what God has. Uh, I haven't put on what God gives me to protect. But um, I, I, you know, this is a, such a true saying. Beth Moore said this at Hillsong: the only time the devil lifts you up is to put you in a noose to hang you. Isn't that clever? The only time the devil lifts you up is to put you in a noose to hang you. That's how much he cares about you. He wants you hanging from the gallows. So he will do everything he can to get your marriage at that point, let alone you. Second is this, ask God to reveal to you 
Are there wounds from my past? Are there wounds from my past that are affecting my present? Now, I'm going to give you a a very, very hard prayer to pray. Pray this. Jesus, take me into my wounds. Wow. Jesus, take me into my wounds. That is a very difficult prayer to pray. But you know what? He is a loving and a just God. And he will only take you to where he wants to take you. He will reveal that outer layer and say, let me journey with you. You might need those around you to go on that journey with you. So before you pray that prayer, make sure you have a place of safety to walk with you in it. And maybe even seek out the prayer counsellors that can pray that prayer with you as they're holding on to you and taking you in there. But you've got to start at some point, and that's where, if you're willing, he will take you there to bring new life into you. See, God wants to save you from what will actually destroy you. He wants you to drop the fig leaf. He wants you to take off the mask. To live in the victory of marriage, you will have to confront the battle of your past. And we talk about living in freedom at LifeGate. That's what freedom is about. When he heals your wounds and allows you to live in the light of the purpose he's designed you for. Thirdly, Ask the question of God, who am I? Seek out how he sees you and the relationship that you're in. You see, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you are nothing without him, let me tell you, you are everything with him. Just let that sink in. If you are nothing without him, you are everything with him. And you will produce the fruit that comes with being connected to the vine. And the fruit of marriage is what he designed for us to live in, not in the shriveled up, dead depth of marriage, but something that produces that which is everything. My question for you is this, what's stopping you depending upon him completely? Now, many Christians will say to me, And uh, many, they'll say, there must be more to life than this in our marriage. I've had that said so many times. There must be more to life than this in our marriage. And I want to say there is. And this is three things that you can look at to find out that there is much more to marriage if we bind ourselves to him. Because the answer is found indeed within him and solely within him. Okay, let me pray for each one of you. Father God, we thank you that um, we can come to you. Father God, we thank you that we can lay this before you. And I do pray, great God, that you would speak to our hearts. Show us what it is that you want to talk to us, whether we're in a marriage or outside of a marriage. And whatever that looks like in all these levels, help us to remember that we're in a war, that there's wounds from our past that cause us to react the way we do today and they need to be dealt with by you. And we want you to deal with those and that we can do nothing without you. May our lives be built on the foundation of Jesus, that we might go forward with him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.